0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Many millions of years ago, a race of hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings got so fed up with the constant bickering about the meaning of life that they commissioned two of their brightest and best to design and build a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer, To life, the universe, and everything. Oh, Deep Thoughts, we want you to tell us the
1: answer.
0: The answer to what?
1: The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer. Something simple.
0: we have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. Has it finished? Oh no, no, there's more. There's more. They go back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They do. Deep thought. Do you have an a- answer for you? Yes, but you're not going to like it. It doesn't matter. We must know it. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is...
1: (laughs) What? (laughs) Who did the editing on that? The heads will roll this week, I can tell you. Seven and a half million years, you wait that long, and then they, what, cut to commercial break? The meaning and purpose of life. Um, It plagues all of mankind and always has. We're going to look at that today um, because we have to find, as human beings, we have to find purpose in in marriage, family, right, in business, in the, the things that we do. Uh, to make a living in, in our lives itself, asking the big question, why? And we're going to look at that. I mean, there are cultures, uh, there are thoughts that some people would say, well, we invent God because of the plaguing question of, of the purpose of life. We invent God to answer that question like we invent God to placate our other fears in life. And, and we think that that will help. But the, I think if you ask a deeper question than just what is the meaning of life, I think a deeper question is why are we even asking? I mean, why, don't, why can't we just be content mammals that uh, pursue the pleasure principle and, and we pursue pleasure and avoid pain and, and live a contented life as, as good mammals can? Well, we don't, and that's, that seems to be the problem. Sir John Templeton wrote this. It would, it would, not be, would it not be strange for a universe without purpose to accidentally create human beings that are so obsessed with purpose how could a universe that accidentally got started, void of purpose, invent human souls like we have that are constantly longing for purpose? Well, that's kind of an introduction to our series or to today's uh, learning time today. We're, we're going through a series together that uh, over 300 churches are doing from uh, Georgetown of Buda. It's called Explore God. We're studying at least six different topics together, the same six different topics uh, this fall, and we're looking at this one today called The Meaning and Purpose of Life. Is there a purpose in life? Now, I, I just feel like I need to apologize up front. This is going to be a monologue. It's difficult to look at these extremely difficult questions in the context of a 35-minute talk, and so we've done a couple of things to kind of, I guess, uh, allow people to go deeper uh, in, in, these, in these topics. One would be, we would recommend at least two books to you. They're sold in our lobby right this week as well. We've been on sale for almost a month now. One's called On Guard uh, that's edited and mostly authored by William Lane Craig, a genius of a man, lives in Atlanta and uh, Los Angeles. And he's going to deal with these six, closer to ten topics and answers them in a way that that, um, the population could understand and enjoy. Uh, He is... He's, he's outstanding at this. this. is a newer book. I would highly recommend it. The other one I recommend is this this one called The Question of God. This is uh, a textbook for a Harvard class that became a PBS series that is exceptional for just having a, a, a book club or kind of a neighborhood Bible study. And it just it tracks the philosophies and the thoughts of of C.S. Lewis and Sigmund Freud. to young men that had tragic lives growing up and were atheists. Obviously, C.S. Lewis changed his view on God and, and where their values led them. I'd recommend that as well. They're on sale. The other thing we're doing is we're bringing um, Cliff Connect to Grace on September 29th. It's very important that you bring your friends to this. This is not going to be an intramural debate. It will be for people to ask questions. If If we don't have many questions, we're just going to go home early that night. Uh, so please bring Cliff. He does bring friends to Cliff. He does this for a living. It'll be a great night, September 29th. He'll be teaching that morning as well. Okay, so that's how we're kind of going around the idea that monologues are given for six weeks. We're going to try to have dialogues with books and with Cliff. Now, this issue of the purpose of life and and the meaning of life and how is it and why is it that That every epoch of time in every culture of time, we have stories where men and women literally or figuratively are climbing mountaintops to talk to old sages and ask the question, why? What's the purpose and meaning of any kind of life? And and we kind of endure this because we're made to ask that kind of question. Look at what Dostoevsky, right, the famous novelist, he says this. The mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but finding something to live for. And see, I think that's the clue right there, is why is it that mankind has to have something to live for? He's not like any other created thing, it seems like, anyway. I mean, even if he's not created, right? He stands apart from the rest of the mammals. Well, the Bible, we looked at the Bible last week and we saw that it's a reasonable book to believe that it could be from God to tell us about what God is like and how to live life and what eternity holds for us. And the Bible says this in a book called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and yet we cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Look at this again. God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. He has made us thinking mammals. And that's, well, um, Blaise Pascal, the famous philosopher and scientist, says thought constitutes the greatness of man. That we are made to think, we gain honor in thinking, it is our duty to think. Look, if you look at... Any, you know, just any civilization on this planet, right? We are, we are just, in the individual, we're just blades of grass when you look at the cosmos, right? We are here today, we are gone tomorrow. Even civilizations are here today, gone tomorrow. We're just grass. But Pascal would add, but we're thinking grass. We, we acknowledge a self-awareness. We can say, it is man that says, I think, therefore I am. And that thinking makes us human. Hamlet right, to be or not to be that is the question to to die, to sleep, to dream, whoa, there's the rub, because in that dream of death, right, in that sleep of death, what dreams might we have? Who thinks that, man, who could even write such a thing that you would think about death and life right? With sleep, maybe maybe we sleep, maybe we dream, and what kind of dreams could we have? No one else is plagued with this. The majesty of man is this I, understanding that man is stuck. Man is stuck in this place where he is not like any other mammal. The mammals don't think about these things: to be or not to be, to die, to sleep, to sleep, to dream. The dolphin is living on instinct, just looking for its next meal. And mankind is in this very lonely place in the entire universe. He is a thinking mortal. He, he, is, he is in between an animal and a God. And we are alone there. We are not like anything else. And that's why we look for purpose in life. That's why we're longing for meaning. That's why we ask why. It's why we have these silly... Even movies that are that are trying to figure this out for us that mocks the question, we are caught between. And here's the thing: what happens with mankind, with a, with any given given individual? Since we're in this state of stuck, and this stuck makes us separate, but in this state of confusion, we gravitate towards this animal or this godlike thing. We we want to be a cat, you know, not a. Not a stray cat, not um, a barn cat, right, where you have to eat what you kill and kill what you eat. We want to be a house cat. We want somebody to take care of us and to pamper us and to make us feel good on the inside and out. We want somebody to let us out and bring us in so we can go back out again. We want to be worshipped. Wait, that leads to the other point. We want to be like a god. And man is not like other mammals. Okay, We, we are not to be stopped by nature. And so we will melt rocks. And with that metal, we'll make a plow and a shoe to put on a horse to to make us food. More than we could ever eat in one season, we would have leftovers. Man can tame nature. The monkeys swing from tree to tree until they hit a wide river, and then they cannot cross it. We build a boat to cross it. We build a bridge to go across the great rivers. And then we will, we will build a dam to generate power, to light up a city where we can act like animals. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which brings us back to the cat, which brings us back to being like gods. But we, we, can't, we can't live with this place in the middle. We're like, okay, listen, Like ter- I'm trying to convince you that we're a lot like gods, a god, a small g. And we're like animals, but we don't know how to negotiate the staying in the middle, the golden mean. Terrible twos, which is usually terrible threes, right? You demand to be in control. You want people to wait on you. And you throw tantrums and fits because you're going to, you, I'll get out of the car. Don't help me. I'm, I'm a god. I can do whatever I want. And you're here to serve me. And so you'll placate to my uh, terrorist demands. And, and so it's this back and forth, right? And then things change, and then we learn to throw different tantrums in our teen years that are a little more subtle. And then as we grow older, we learn how to reward those who appreciate us and punish those who do not. But we are still dancing, falling, rather, we are falling from one side of this mule to the other, right? Trying to be just... just comfortable and left alone, but completely in charge of everyone and everything around us. We can't live on the horse. We gravitate in this experience of going back and forth and back and forth, but never resting in the place of humanness, the delicate balance of being stuck in the middle, and so you can look at philosophers and folk singers and you can look, at, I mean, throughout the ages, you can see how people are, are describing, the, describing the human experience of running away from the question of what is the purpose in life by going to either trying to be like a God or be like an animal. Um, Pascal says, lust and power are the springs of all of our actions. Lust, right, an animal, and power, like a God are the springs of all of our actions. Malcolm Muckridge, the famous British um, author and and BBC correspondent, wrote this. He said, if God is dead, then somebody has to take his place. It will be megalomania, power, God, or erotomania, animals, right? The drive to power or the drive to pleasure. A clenched fist or a phallus. Hitler or Hugh Hefner. He's showing extremes so that we might acknowledge that we gravitate towards one or the other. Um, 10,000 Maniacs in 1992, candy that everyone loves, right? If lust and hate are your candy, right? If, um, If blood and love taste so sweet, then give them what they want. Hey, hey, just give them what they want because we fall off both sides of this thing. Look at a classic marriage. It starts off this way. Two people, individuals coming together, saying their vows, and leaving with this expectation. I will control you and change you. And you will please me. And that's why there's so much marital strife in the early years is because we have this value. I will be like a god and I will be like a cat, and you'll play to that. When marriage itself is all about learning how to trust Right? And how to, to serve. And what's, what's especially you know terrible is when you run into marriages twenty years, thirty years in you know, kind of in their journey, and they're still back in the first five, where it's like, you, I'm gonna control you, and now we have children, I'm gonna control you and the children and everyone around me, and I will be pleased. And that I mean you can you can stay stuck in there for a very long time. I'm I'm trying to prove to you that for lack of any other definition in life, man, because he's stuck between gods and animals, plays one or the other and spends his whole life being distracted by, by that back and forth, right? The pendulum swing never stopping. And we just stay busy at doing one or the other because busy is the narcotic, not of our time, of the human race. Busy is the narcotic because if we were to stop, the most dreadful thing you can inflict on a, on a human being is to put them in solitary confinement. Because, because noise is where we go for pleasure. We, 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 we can't stand the silence because then we'll stop and think wait a minute. I am I am more than an animal, and I'm being. I think I'm gonna. I'm trying to be satisfied by simple physical pleasures, but on the other hand, I, I'm a megalomaniac. I'm constantly in need of control of things. I'm less than a guy. There must be something more to life because I keep chasing all these en- these means and and never the end. But we stay busy. We stay constantly busy until then. It happens for some of. Them for some people, not everyone, very few people, but then it happens. We get what we want. And then we suffer from the parable, right? It is better to journey, hopefully, than to arrive. As long as we keep chasing the passions, hopefully we never get them, or we chase the power and the control and the status and never receive them, then we can journey, hopefully, because that's better than never arriving. And, and and that's when that's when that's when life that's when life gets exceptionally quiet and then we say, What's the purpose of it all? I chased all these means as though they were ends and they're dead ends. Look, here's look, this is an old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, right? Have you seen this one where Calvin and, and Hobbes are playing checkers? I won, I did it, I did it, I'm the champion, right? I'm the best, I'm the top of the heap, ha. Boy, um, Okay, is that, all, is that all there is? What's, what's, what's up? What's up with that? Why? Why can't he just enjoy that moment and it stays there? Why can't you climb to the top of a mountain and stay? Because you've done it. And now you have to move on to a higher peak. Here's why. Because Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity in your heart and and we can't fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end it is a curse from God to do this to us it is the greatest blessing from God because it makes us human we are alone yes we are the think, we are the thinking mortals we are in his image the bible says and that's why we long for purpose we we want a transcendent meal, and we, and we dine on saltines, and we wonder why we can't whistle to the tunes of the hymns that God gives us. We are eternal beings in temporal bodies. We are souls with bodies. We are not bodies with souls. And, and, and again, God has made us in, in, this, in, this, in this precarious place. He has put us higher than the animals, lower than God's, and we need to rest there by his definitions of what the purpose of life is. Look, I'll save you 90 minutes of watching a movie. This is the first and the last clip for the most part, spoiler alert. And I'm giving this to you because in 90 seconds, right, in 90 seconds we'll do a 90-minute movie, but it's 10, It's 100 movies. Watch this, watch this movie, and I'll show you how it applies to other parts of life.
0: Hungry much? Our business expense allots $40 each for dinner. I plan on grabbing as many miles as I can. Okay.
1: You got to fill me in on the miles thing. What is that about? Are you talking about, like, freaking flyer miles?
0: You really want to know?
1: I'm dying to know.
0: I don't spend a nickel if I can help it unless it somehow profits my mileage account. So what are you saving up for, Hawaii? South of France? It's not like that. The miles are the goal.
1: That's it? You're saving just to save?
0: Let's just say that I have a number in mind and I haven't hit it yet.
1: That's a little abstract. What's the target?
0: I'd really not. Is it a secret target? It's 10 million miles.
1: Okay. Isn't 10 million just a number?
0: is just a number.
1: Well, we all need a hobby. No, I I don't mean to belittle your collection. I get it. It sounds cool.
0: I'd be the seventh person to do it. More people have walked on the moon.
1: Did they throw you a parade?
0: You have lifetime executive status. You get to meet the chief pilot, Maynard Finch. Wow. And they put your name on the side of a plane.
1: If I had that many miles, I would show up at an airport, look at the destination board, pick a place, and go.
0: Here you go. Seventh card we've made. Small club. We really appreciate your loyalty. You know how many times I thought about this moment? Played out the conversation that you and I would have right here. Really? You want to say? You know, I don't remember. That's all right. That happened to all of us.
1: Traveled 10 million miles, hopefully, and then he arrived. It was a means, and he thought it was an end. How, how, many, how many times, I mean, I could list names, right? We could play other video clips of athletes, right, with Super Bowl rings and, and green jackets, men that have kissed the bricks, right, at the racetrack, they wear championship belts. How many, how many biographies and stories do you read or see on the news where they say, I just thought there'd be more after that. How many entertainers do we know? And their stories go like, yes, and then I got the Oscar and the Grammy and the Emmy or whatever it was. And then they said, but I got it too young. And I thought there would be more. I won. I won. I did it. I'm the champion. Is this all there is? Businessmen, they become successful in whatever ways you want to keep score with that, right? They have a lot of money. They got a big house on the hill, and and maybe they get a a book, right? A speaking thing, whatever it might be, notoriety. And then they they say, "I won, I did it." And it gets quiet, and they say, "Is is that all?" I mean, we have a we have a saying when someone's happy. It's like, "Wow, would you win the lottery?" But people that win the lottery aren't happy. But we just think the next guy will be, especially if the next guy's me. We are not made for this sort of thing. This these this is proof that man is not like other things. Mortimer Adler, one of the wisest men in America, right? He's the editor of Encyclopedia Britannica and the great books of Western civilization. Right? Writes a great book. The title gives it away. The difference in man and the difference it makes. We are we made for meaning and purpose. The curse of Sisyphus, right? It, pushing the boulder up the hill to watch it roll down. That's not a curse to any other mammal. they just like, hey, I get the, I get the bucket of oats at the end, right? Between each roll? Right, I'm good then. For eternity? I mean, the oats for eternity, right? Okay, I'm good then. It's, it's a curse. It's a Greek curse because it's mankind that must suffer a purposeless task forever. We can't even live with a noble lie that Plato wants us to. Once we find out it's a lie, we won't do it anymore we'd rather sit and sulk and die the whole, there's a whole book that, that, that scholars over the years did not want to put in the old testament it's called ecclesiastes you know i've quoted from it right twice already and even that verse some people will say it's written by a gentleman named solomon king of israel and and some people will say that verse was not at it was not was not from his pen because the whole, the, whole, the whole book, except for the last couple chapters, and again, scholars will say he didn't write that. And I believe he did in a moment of sobriety. But, here, but the reason is because the whole book is a dirge. The whole book is, the, the theme of the book is vanity, stupidity, meaninglessness. And because here's what he does. He goes, he conquers every aspect of nature. He is as godlike as you can become, right, in, in power. And he controls. And at each time he says, I won, I won, this is it, I'm the champion. And then, then he pauses and says, is this all there is? Vanity, it's all just vain. And, and <laughs> he conquers every female that he can. I mean, all of his passions he submits to. So he gives up a he goes back and forth between being like a god to being like an animal. He'll write a chapter on that. And at the end of that chapter he'll say, is that it? Really? There must, there must be something more. We are so restless and alone in this place. And, and as I, I tell you, so, so many of us just so, stay so busy so that we can enjoy the journey of hope. And down deep, we hope we don't arrive. The highest suicide rate is of the wealthy because they get there. And they wonder, is this it? The silence kills them. There must be something more. So my, my, theme, my, my premise before I, I bring it back, my conclusion is that we are not like anything else. And all the answers that we've been given don't satisfy us. And if you're not careful, you will play to your natures, of being like an animal and like a God. You will try to spend your whole life controlling the life around you and the people around you, and everyone's miserable, or your passions, and you will become a a slave to those passions. It always ends up in slavery. And then comes Jesus. When Jesus comes... He comes to teach about the nature of God, the nature of man, and the nature of eternity. And he, and he places us in the right place. He says, you've been designed for this purpose, to live for God and his glory. And you guys are looking at life. So, what? Upside down. Let me show you how this works. In his great sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Please read, considering Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. In the first part of chapter 5, I mean, it's, it's kind of his launching pad. He starts off, there's no introduction, it's boom, blessed. And so many of the things that we spend so much energy fearing and praying for and trying to avoid, he says, no, 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 those are good things. Because, because you're thinking mortals. You're in the image of, well, you know, Jesus can say this, you're in the image of me. And so it's, it's blessed to be poor in spirit. It's great to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, no, it's good to be meek. You're getting, you're getting this wrong. No, the, the power doesn't come in pride and in control. It comes by being humble and turning the other cheek. See how he's turned everything around? And he, and he lives that way. He's just, watch me. It doesn't come by satisfying your passions what you guys... I mean, Jesus says, I've heard your prayers. You pray like pagans. You worry so, so much about what? Let me think. Let me just say here today, this morning, when you guys woke up. What are you going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? The animals and plants don't worry about those things, Jesus says. He, he does. He says, the birds of the air, they don't worry about their nest." The, the flowers don't worry about how they're going to get dressed. Rise above the animals, and don't think you're a God. And then, and then he says this: you know, at the end of all the worrying talk and how to pray more effectively, he says, quit praying like pagans prayer. They pray these little things. They pray like animals or want to be gods. Do this. Here's the end. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, you stop. Okay? I know you, some, so many of you have already memorized that verse. So what? Okay? I mean, so what? It's easy to line these words up in a row. It takes a lifetime to make a ding in this thing. <laughs> okay? This is not an easy thing to do. It's... You know what I mean? It's easy, but it's, or it's simple, it's just not easy. To absolutely rearrange the way you view your own humanity as a means of giving it to God and to seek first that kingdom. That's why Jesus says, look, again, we are, we are eternal souls in temporal housing. And so he says, don't save, don't like live your life for treasures in heaven. Because, I mean, think about it. Treasures in heaven, right? I mean, they can get moth eaten. They can get rust. And then people can steal it. Why don't you, why don't you do this? Why don't you invest into eternity? So your decisions in this life, like, send investments into forever forever. When you're greeted by your maker and those treasures that he gives you, they, can, they are impervious to what? Moth and rust and thievery. And then he concludes that one section is wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So, I mean, the question today is where's your treasure? Where's your lifestyle? Is it about this, this fixation on changing other people, on controlling your surroundings, thinking that's an end? Is, is it just submitting to the passions? Hey, I had a really hard day. I deserve something good to come my way. Or are you finding yourself submitting to the end, this presentation of your life to your maker God? That's the answer that the Bible has. The Bible, Jesus comes and says, watch my life, but he comes and says there is meaning and purpose, and it's to glorify the Father. I mean, and then Jesus does that. He lives a life and he dies a death so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he's Lord to the glory of his Father. That's what we do. And then everything else becomes so (laughs) distant second. But here's the warning and the application of this. Okay, this is a dreadful warning. But it gets lost sometimes in our culture. It only works full throttle. Christianity. If you're wondering, why doesn't it work? I mean, you look around in America, you look around in some churches or people you might work with, and you go, they don't, they're not living any different than me. Because it only works full throttle. Let me try to explain that. In fact, um, a long time ago, before wakeboarding was cool, uh, the biggest, coolest thing to do on on behind a boat was to slalom ski. That was one ski, and the, the, the narrower the point at the bottom, the better you could cut back and forth. Some of you old people remember the slalom ski, the one ski thing? That was great. And if you're learning how, it's great to start on two skis, and you drop one, and then you'd put the back foot in the back, and then you could do some tricks. It was a lot of fun. But when you, you know, I mean... You wanted to start off with one ski, but the problem with starting off with one ski was you, it was excruciatingly physically demanding for two reasons. One, you're, you're sitting in the, and the ski has to sit straight up like this. Okay, right. So balance is absolutely required. And then when the bo- boat pulls you, there's this in-between no-man's land when you're resting, waiting to start. And when the, pla- when the ski planes out and now you're, you're, finally your grip and your arms and your shoulders can take a little breather. But in between, oh, you you take in a lot of water. You, you, you question a lot of life. And somewhere in there you say, This is fun. Okay? Now, the reason I tell you that is because when you're in that rest position and the rope's tight, and right before you start, you say this, you say gun it. Because what you mean by that is I don't care how much power this boat has, because the more power, the better, the faster I'll plane out, I want you to gun that. I want you to go from dead stop to full throttle because I don't want to suffer in this no man's land for long. Any slalom skiers out there? Say amen. 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 So you say gun it and then, and then you try to get to that planed out part as fast as possible. The reason I'm telling you that is because a friend of mine in, in high school was really obnoxious because he was exceptionally gifted at everything he did. And the other four of us resented that fact. And, and the only time we could ever get him back was when we, when we skied because we'd put him back behind us in the boat, right? And he'd say hit it and we would just kind of go uh. Yeah. Yeah, I got that in me. I got all kinds of evil and mean in me, okay? So don't you don't want to mess with me. Not in a boat. And we and Tim would be back there and he'd be he was so strong. He was a, he was a pole vaulter and a foot. He was, he was everything. Okay. He could do anything with his body. So he could actually take one hand off and say, up, you know, like this, you know, go faster. <laughs> okay, Dan, we're getting on that right now. And, and while, while the, all the, again, all the stress on the line and the rope could even break and, and dragging him the best, I'm saving the best for last. Because of, of the curvature of the ski, it would come the water would come around and hit you right in the face. You would be blinded, and this is where waterboarding started. And so I mean so we would waterboard Tim every time we could in a ski trip. Here's why I'm telling you that. I look around a lot of people's lives. When I look you know, it's pretty easy to see if you if Christianity isn't working for you, you know why? Because you're not full throttle. You're, you're better off resting as a non-believer. You're, you're better off planning as one absolutely surrendered to Jesus Christ. In the middle where you're playing games, it does not work. It, let me just say it another It was never meant to work that way. Okay. It, it, the claims of Jesus Christ, if it, were, if, it were, if it were in a bottle and it had directions on it, it would say, do not dilute. Because it... You're just back there drowning. And it's not Jesus' fault. It's not the Christian truth. It's not the church. It's your, you're not doing it right. When Jesus turned to his disciples, you know, on the week that he was going to die, he said, Look, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your own cross, and follow me. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose eternal life. If you want to give your life away, you will save your life. What what, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world? I won. I won. I did it. But it cost you your soul, Jesus says. So he he never minced words. He, He wasn't rude. He was just truthful. So what's the meaning and the purpose of life? It is to seek first the kingdom of God, is to love the Lord your God with all, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. That's what it is. And all, he uses those words. It's in the Older Testament, it's in the Newer Testament realized. Jesus wants us to leave this place of of frustration and trapped and get into his boat. <laughs> and when you straddle in between, you're, you'll be angry. And you'll think it's, you'll be angry at God. When people live this way, I mean all out, right? Full throttle. Seeking first the kingdom of God. That's why they abandoned the animal instincts and will, and will, and will spend, their, like, their only week of vacation building a house or drilling a well in Mexico or, or giving shots at Africa or tutoring people. The extravagant pe- some people with extravagant incomes will spend those incomes on other people. Some people that are having a hard time making ends meet, they will save their pennies to help other people. It's not for their own pleasure. And other people, they, they realize that they have to harness this ambition to be godlike and they surrender their will to God's will. And they, they, they live in a place of contentment. They find the, the, the golden mean in the middle of these two extremes. They're torn, but they balance. Jesus taught us how to live that life. He was God, but he was fully human. But he didn't seem trapped, did he? The meaning of life? The Bible says, it seems to be a reliable book. The Bible says that every thought, every action, every emotion, every choice is to please your maker. If you come back each week, we'll try to help you learn to do that. If all this is news to you, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you don't know much about Jesus, whoever brought you here, ask them. Uh, We're going to have a meal after church, the second hour. Grab one of the leaders here, the pastors, the elders, somebody. Just ask somebody, okay? We'll talk again next week. I'll tell you more about that in just a few minutes. Let's, Let's pray to that end, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, I, first I want to thank you for the cursing and, and, uh, and the, the blessing of this eternity in our hearts. And I ask that you would turn up the volume. I'd ask that you would help us experience our aloneness in this universe. We are, we are, these, we are in your image, according to the Bible, and we are thinking souls. And we can only find rest when we find it in you. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you would haunt us with this and then quench that haunting with with the experience of your Holy Spirit living in us. Lord, I know there's people in the audience today that just need the courage to have a first conversation, and I'd ask that you would give them that courage. You'd kind of push them out and get them started. Lord, we are grateful that you would rescue us from ourselves through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.